You're listening to the Elim Church Northampton podcast. This message was recorded live as part of our regular Sunday service. We know that this is a great investment into your life. So tune in and give it a listen. For more information, visit elimnorthampton.com. presence comforts us. Your presence helps us. Your presence heals us. Lord, we've made our way to church today and we've gathered in this place. And the icing on the cake, Lord, is to sense your presence. That we can't see it, but it's tangible. And we say to you, Lord, We give you permission, have your way. We make room in our hearts today, have your way. Change us where we need to change. Lord, fill us afresh with your power, with your presence, with your grace. Holy Spirit, come right now. You are welcome. You are welcome in this place. You are welcome in our hearts. We open our hearts to you afresh today. In the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Please take your seats. As you take your seats, why don't you wave to someone? Tell them how good looking they are. You're glad that they're in the house today. And whether you're watching online, we welcome you too. It's good to be together. You know, we can be together even though some are watching online and some are in the house. Hey, you're looking good? Yeah? You're looking very serious today. So we've come to the last uh, message of our current campaign. I just want to explain why we call it a campaign rather than a, a preaching theme. So the word theme sort of is a gentle sort of a thread of, of something going through what you're trying to explain. But a campaign has got a bit more forcefulness about it. We're going to drive home the truth of, of the word of God and we want to take it from place to place. We want to take it deeper and deeper, higher and higher. And we want to take you to a place where you learn and develop in the word of God. So we plan our campaigns probably, uh, we used to plan them 12 months in advance and things have changed a little bit since COVID. Um, But we've been planning this campaign and we've walked through it and today is the last message of that. Next week we start our new campaign which is called Consecrate. But as we've journeyed through the Gospel of Mark, we've realised that it's a a short, fast-paced book. I mean you can read it in one sitting and I hope many of you have done that over these past few weeks. And we sort of get the flavour that there's an urgency of the message of Jesus Christ. And it covers the ministry of Jesus as an adult. It doesn't tell us the details of his childhood and his birth like the other Gospels do. It goes right into the beginning of his ministry as it's launched and it takes it right through all the miracles and the signs and the wonders that he does and the gathering of the, his 
team, the disciples, right through to his crucifixion and resurrection. And so it takes us on this journey where we become passengers as we read through it and we're learning. And almost like we could actually be there with the disciples on this journey. We're going right the way from Galilee to Jerusalem. And so I suppose as we come to a close uh, of our series on that, the last message I'm going to bring you is out of uh, Mark's Gospel on chapter 10. So if you've got a Bible or a device with you, um, if not, you can read it from the screen. And we're going to Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 35. I'll give you a few moments to Uh, Get that ready and we can read it together and I'll read it. And so just as a backdrop to this um, passage that we're going to read, the disciples, as I've said, have spent this journey with Jesus and they have had first-hand experience of the miracles that he's done, of the words that he's preached. And we've just heard when Pastor Jason shared that story about feeding the 20,000 people. Well, they were there. I mean, something like that has got to change your life, hasn't it? It's got to impact you in some shape or form. So these disciples that had traveled with Jesus up to this point, they had all this experience, this wealth of rubbing shoulders, of walking along the side of Jesus and knowing him. And so they got to experience ministry. They got to partake in all that Jesus was doing and helping him to do some of that stuff. After all, they they did help hand out the the loaves and the bread and they did gather it back in on the the back. So they got to be hands-on. Wow, wouldn't that be a thing to be hands-on helping Jesus in his ministry? And so at this point, after that, then James and John, sons of Zebedee, two of the disciples, they came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favour. Now, I've just had some of my grandkids stay with me because it's been half term. And my grandkids always come to me and they want something. They want me to do them a favor. And I always oblige. Well, not always, but as much as I can. And so this reminds me of children coming to uh, a parent. And Jesus responds and he says, what is your request? He asked. And they replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in place of honor next to you. One on the right, one on the left. Have you ever seen that Haribo advert? You know, where the the adults are suddenly transformed and they've got little kids' voices and they're giggling over these little sweets and stuff. I'm sorry, I don't mean to, like, disrespect these disciples, but I just, I couldn't stop thinking of that image when I read it. They're like, suddenly, these grown men that have walked the earth with Jesus and seen amazing things, suddenly, they've transformed into these little childish voices. We want to see it on your side, on the left and the right. Yeah. They've suddenly gone a bit immature. They've gone a bit childish. But I love the way that Jesus responds and he says, but Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. I'm like that with my grandkids. You don't really know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with a baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? He's talking about going to the cross and the things he's got to suffer. And they are like these little Haribo kids. Yes, yes, oh yes, we can do that. We are able. It's good to have fun in church. I think it's the way I read the Bible, you know, anyway. I need it at a simple level so I can understand. 
So Jesus says to them, okay, yep, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I haven't got any right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones that he has chosen. When the other 10 disciples, because these were two of them, heard what James and John had asked for, they were indignant. Now, I don't think that the other 10 were indignant because they realized how childish and how proudful this request had been. No, I think they were indignant because they didn't get to ask it first. They wanted to sit on the left and right of Jesus as well. They were at the same place, that they got to a place in their lives with Jesus that they become bold enough and they misunderstood what it meant that they could sit on the right and left hand of Jesus. They didn't even understand the suffering that was coming, but they said, yep, we can do that. So (sighs) Jesus gathered them all together, called them together, and he said, you know, that the rulers of this world, they lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Listen to this. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Now, it's bad enough saying that they've got to be servants Then to make it even worse, he says they've got to be slaves. Jesus is trying to explain to them that in order to do God's will, it's upside down from what we think in worldly terms. We think we've got to climb a hierarchical ladder and be in charge and then we can rule everyone. And yet Jesus tips that upside down and he says, no, you've got to be at the bottom of the ladder. You've got to serve everyone. But he goes even further. He doesn't just talk about what he expects his disciples to do. He talks about himself. And then he says this, and I think you should highlight it in your Bible, but I'm not telling you what to do. He says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Ouch. This is Almighty God. This is the all-powerful. And he's saying that he is a servant. I want to take us through this chapter in like a race. The beginning of a race, the start of a race is very, very important. And Christians, (laughs) like it or not, once you are born again, you are on this race of Christianity because we are running towards a future an amazing future with Jesus. And whether we want to get involved in that race or not, we are going that way. We have a destiny. We have a purpose. We have a calling. And the gospel of Mark sort of ushers us along. It's like there's an urgency. There's a fastness. There's a pace. So I thought I'm going to end this campaign basing it on these three points. On your marks, get set, go. So start with on your marks is about position. If you run, I obviously don't. Your position is very important when you start a race. But when I look at what Jesus has just said, I remember everything about the Mark's gospel. And there's two themes that thread through the gospel of Mark. And they are who Jesus is 
and what he does. The first one of who Jesus is, he is the son of God. And he displays this by the authority that he has, by the power of his word. What he says is, and it gets done. He carries authority and he has declared it through what he is saying in the word. Because after all, Jesus is the word. From the very beginning, he was the word. And he has come to earth. Secondly, he is also the servant of God. How can he be the son of God, King Jesus, and then also the servant of God? He's the servant of God. And we see that because of the way that he has compassion on this earth and people. And through all the miracles and works and serving that he does. So there's this two parts, two characteristics that we see of Jesus. But let's just backtrack. Jesus is God. He is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere at the same time. He is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful more powerful than anything else on this earth or beyond it. He is omniscient. That means he is all-knowing. He knows every single thing, even the thoughts in our head. So he is God. And yet, with all that power, with all that knowledge and that knowing, instead of just sitting up in heaven and leaving us to our own devices, he took off his majestic robe. He took off his crown, so to speak. And he stepped down out of heaven, took on the mantle of humanity and its limitations to walk this earth with us so he could get up close, so we could see him and know him. And he also did that because he needed to go to the cross for our salvation. He gave up everything to lay his life down as a servant for all a servant for the earth. And what's this got to do about on your marks? See, Jesus chose to do what he did, but he also knew what he was supposed to do. He knew the race he was supposed to run. And when you know the race you're supposed to run, then you will know where you've got to be. So when you are getting on your marks, you are getting in position. When a runner gets on his marks, I think you can just about see it on the screen, there are these things called starting blocks. When they hear the call, on your marks, they walk up to the mark or the line or whatever it is, the place where they're supposed to start the race. I don't know whether God is speaking to us today as a church and individually Is there a mark that we should be standing up to? Is there a position or a place that we need to get ready to be at? Jesus needed to be in the right place at the right time. He came down from heaven to earth. It was no good him running the race and staying in heaven. He had to come down to earth and position himself and get on the starting blocks. When you put your feet into the starting blocks, then you are positioned ready to run. But also, the starting blocks are built in such a way that it's been proven that it gives you a leap forward. In other words, if you start a race with a starting block, you are going to go further and faster than your capability without them would be. And so, there are times 
where God is calling us to get into position, to get into the starting blocks. If we go back to the scripture, these guys were thinking of leadership. These guys were looking at a chair seated next to Jesus. They wanted a place of honor. So I think Jesus is starting to show them that in order to get to a place where he's called them to be as leaders, they had to start at the starting place. It's the same for you and me. There is no shortcut in the kingdom of God. Whatever God has called us to do, it doesn't matter how rich or famous or clever you are, or gifted or anointed or whatever, you've got to start at the starting place, the starting blocks. We've got to put our feet in those starting blocks. And I don't know what those starting blocks could be, Maybe it could be making cups of tea for everyone in in refreshments. Maybe it could be cleaning up. I don't know. It could be other things. But you have to find your starting block. Your starting block to get involved in ministry. Ministry simply means serving. But you have to find your starting block. The way that God has created church is so that everyone has a place. Everyone has a position. There is a starting block with your name on. A starting block where you have got to place your feet and get ready and get in position. You can't enter this race if you don't get into position. So you've got to get on your marks. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to find your lane. Maybe you've got a call from God to do something amazing. Maybe it's to teach or to to preach, but you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start in the starting block. There's a process. God is going to test your, your heart. He's going to test your tenacity. He's going to test what you really want to do for him. But most of all, he's looking for people who want to imitate Jesus and be a servant of all. Now, I'm not saying this because we need you to sign up and join all our volunteer teams. This is not about that. This is personal. This is about you and Jesus. This is about how you grow intimate with Jesus. This is about you partnering with Jesus. When Jesus calls you to to do something, when you step into those starting blocks of serving in his church, this is his church. It's not the pastor's church, or anyone else. It belongs to him. And the church is you and me, the people. And God has designed it that we work together, work together, so that God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I believe that right now, in this season for Elam Church Northampton, we are in a pivotal season, a transforming season, a changing season. Not only are we about to step over into a new building that is going to be a transformation time, it's going to be a building, a place, a setting for the next generation. Not generations just in ages, but generation of believers too. There are going to be more people that come to Christ because we have got an expansion of a place. And as we step over together as a church, because we can't do it alone, as we step over together, I also feel there's a mantle upon our church that God is going to raise up 
leaders. He's going to raise up anointed people, gifted people, called people. And you are sitting here today and I am speaking to you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And you know it because you feel that in your spirit. God is calling you. It's time to step up, step in and get involved. But you've got to start in the starting blocks. Maybe in the unseen places. And it's hard. Sometimes looking after the kids in the kids' church, it's monotonous. It's difficult. It's hard. But, but we're doing it for Jesus. We're doing it to respond to the call of God. I just wonder, are you going to start your race? It's happy. If you want to stay on the sidelines and, and just observe, that's okay too. Because this is about you going deeper with Jesus. I can stand here and say that now because over the 30 years that I've been a Christian, I have served God in places that are unseen and unknown and are hard. But each time I've stepped into those areas, it's been about me and Jesus. I haven't done it alone. It's been me and Jesus. And there's been opportunities where he's challenged me and changed me because that's what the church is there for, to challenge us, to change us, So I'm going to ask you this question. If this is your home church, even if you're watching online, if this is your home church, I'm going to ask you this question, and I want you to ask yourself, where are you serving? It's not a question that's coming from me. It's coming from the Word of God, because it will bless you. You might be missing out on the opportunities that God has for you. So we've got to get on our marks God is calling us. He's anointing us. But he's calling us to gird up and gear up and get involved in the race because it's a race like no other race. When we physically serve in the church of God, it is a spiritual thing, not a physical thing because the devil does not want you to serve. The devil does not want you to serve in this church. He doesn't want you to bring your resources in. He doesn't want you to bring your gifts in, your talents, your time. He wants you to keep it for you or for other things. He wants to starve the church. But I've got to say something. That ain't going to happen in this church, is it? Jesus Christ is on the throne and we are going to bring everything to his feet because we're going to get on those starting blocks. We are on our marks. The next thing that a runner will do, once the runner has found his place and his position and he's ready to start, he's on the starting blocks, or she, the next thing is the command comes, get set. The word get set is all about posture. Remember the scripture, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to everyone else. So James and John and the 10 other indignant disciples, they wanted a privileged position. All they were seeking was to have a seat next to Jesus, a place of honor. They were not interested in having a posture that would be demeaning or where they would have to submit or would they have to crouch down. And yet a runner who has been probably training for years as they enter the race, they are on their marks, their feet are in the starting blocks. And then the next thing is get set. And when they get set, they have to get down. We have to humble ourselves. And they get down. 
and they put their hands to the floor. But not only do they get down, because I think the get set is about changing and transforming not only them as a runner, but us as we start to get down and submit to the things of God, the ways of God. God is after changing our mindset and our heart set. Our mindset and our heart set. The way that we think. Because he wants to transform us. And we can't do that if we, we want to sit in, in high chairs, in high places. But we can do that when we crouch down, ready to run the race. This is an undignified. It's uncomfortable because the runner is all geared up, ready to run. The muscles are taut. They are waiting, waiting for that gun to go off, for the flag to go. And as we, as Christians, as we put ourselves into a position we are humbling ourselves. We are bowing down. We are submitting everything to the Lord. And we are in that position of getting set, getting ready, getting in a place where God can lead us forward. As the runner is braced, he's girded. It's uncomfortable. It's undignified. But it's a place where he is submitted He's now submitted his whole body, his mind, his heart to run in this race. But also his focus is on the prize. The runner focuses only on the end of the race, the prize that he's running to win. He's not in this race to lose. He's not in this race to come second. The runner is in this race to win. And you and me are in this race to win. And spoiler alert, we win. We win. We just got to get involved and get in the race. And he's focused. We've all seen these amazing runners at the Olympics and everywhere else on telly. And as they're running, you know, that the crowd is cheering them on. And can you imagine, you know, running along? And we're in the race and we're running and then the crowd are cheering and we start looking at the crowd and waving at them and yeah, yeah, thank you, yeah, yeah. The moment we start looking at the crowd as we're running the race for Jesus and we're, we're watching what the crowd are doing and we're concerned about the crowd, we lose the race. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. There's no point being distracted by the crowd. But you see, our posture is so important. That's why it was a submissive posture. It was sat down. <laughs> Too bothered about what others think. And I'll come to that point in a minute. As I thought about that posture, I started to think about Mary and Martha. We've all read the story about Mary and Martha. They were having a connect group one day in their house. Maybe it was a house group, whatever you call it. And so they, they were, Jesus came. He was a teacher at their house group that day. And so Martha was busy in the kitchen. She was going all out. She was going to spoil him with all her amazing cooking. And she was banging the pots in the kitchen and sweating and cooking away. We know the story well. All the while, her sister Mary is sat at Jesus' feet. So while Martha is serving, Mary is sitting. Just a little word on Mary. In this setting, in these days, a woman did not sit at a teacher's feet. Only men did. 
But a sign of sitting at the feet, and so not on a chair like the disciples had wanted to do, was a sign that it was a teacher. They were submitting themselves to the teaching of the teacher. Mary had decided to break protocol. Mary had decided to break cultural obligations. It doesn't matter what your culture says. It doesn't matter the way that you've been taught. If it is not in line with the word of God, then you don't have to adhere to it. This was a woman who was tenacious and she was going to take all that Jesus had for her. Her culture was not going to get in the way. And so she sat at Jesus' feet and she's listening, she's learning, and Jesus welcomes her as a disciple while Martha continues to do the serving and the cooking. And then she turns around in frustration and she actually says, don't you care? I am all alone in this kitchen. Jesus, tell her to help me. It's... um, I'm sorry to say that it did bring back memories of many, many, many years ago when we first entered the ministry. And uh, on a Sunday after church, I had three kids at the time, we would often have the visiting speaker at our house for Sunday lunch. And so my job was to rush home and I'd cook the dinner. I often burnt it. I was useless at it. And then while I'm busy in the kitchen, Pastor Jason would be talking to them and laughing and joking and getting to know them. Then I'd put the dinner on the table, check the kids are okay. When we get it, I'd be back in the kitchen, washing up, cleaning the place up. And then they would be back in the lounge, just enjoying the coffee and the chat. Oh, wasn't church so good today? And by the way, I wasn't even in church because I was in kids' church. So I was totally out of it. And I was banging. One day, I lost it. I was banging the pots louder, just thinking, he's got to come in and help me. I'm here serving all on my own. It's not fair. And the pots got louder. And eventually we said goodbye to our visitors. And I just didn't get it. It took me, I'm sorry to say, it took me a couple of years to realize, get a takeaway. (laughs) I missed building relationships. Because I was busy serving. I miss being part of the conversation. Those poor people that came to my house never saw me. I was too busy serving them to have time with them. And although we're talking about serving and that we are called to serve, especially the body of Christ, there is a difference when Jesus is in the room. The attention must go to him. If we are too busy, like Martha continuing to serve when Jesus is in the room, we are going to miss out big time. When we sit at Jesus' feet like Mary chose to do, that is the place where we get refreshed, refilled, where we receive his wisdom, his grace, his mercy. It's where we deepen our relationship with him. We can be too busy serving, doing, and miss out. Sometimes we need to sit before we serve. But the Lord replied to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered and distracted and you're anxious about so many things. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary's discovered it 
and it will not be taken away from her. Martha's mistake here was she was cooking a meal that Jesus never asked her to cook. Martha was trying to feed Jesus. Jesus was trying to feed Martha. There are times in our lives where we must wake up and realize and read the room and understand the moment that we're in and go back to Jesus' feet. In fact, when we serve without time with Jesus, when we try and do the serving without the sitting, we get angry, we get anxious, we get frustrated, we feel alone, no one cares. I'm doing all this on my own. And we have great volunteers in this church. And I'm sure at times, some of them must feel, as I did then, that I'm left alone, that no one cares. I'm on this rotor for the six-week run-in. It's not fair. And when we start to get grouchy, and we start to grumble, and we start to despise what we're doing, and we lose our joy in serving in the church, then that is the time, that is a warning time. Stop. Sit down. Invest in your time with Jesus. Your, your bank is deplenished. You need your time with Jesus. Without your sitting, you cannot serve in a healthy way. And so Mary would have sat with Jesus and she would have been in a much better place emotionally. And so she would have served with such joy. Yet poor Martha was anxious and angry because she was busy doing something that Jesus never asked her to do. You know, tonight, and I'm just going to give you all a few moments to get out your devices, get out your phones. Tonight we have an opportunity for you to come and sit and soak at the feet of Jesus. We have a worship night. We've got provision for children. And if you're worried about your kids being late for school the next day, well, I'm going to also say that my three kids had to come to church every Sunday night with me because there was no babysitter. And two out of three of them are now Elam ministers, so it didn't harm them too much. But think about what it will do for your soul. It's okay, you might think, I'm too busy. You know, I can do this at home. But there is something about the gathering together and allowing the worship to wash over you. So as I'm talking, put it in your diary. Make the alarm set on your phone so that you get here tonight and you make a marker in your day that you will sit at Jesus' feet tonight with us together. It's going to be awesome. When you sit like Mary did, he fills you. See, Martha was trying to give and give, and she had nothing left to give. When we sit at Jesus' feet, we receive. We receive and we receive. He fills us. He equips us. He heals us. He gives us wisdom. He gives us hope. He replenishes us. And he draws us closer to him. It's a good medicine. Sit a while before you serve. When you sit in the presence of Jesus, that presence overwhelms you. It consumes you. Not only does it prepare you for all that you have to do, 
but it's that moment of intimacy. And some of us are just starved of that. If we're really honest, we're just starved of being in that intimate place with Jesus. I know we've got busy lives. We've got busier lives than we've ever had before. We've got work. We've got kids. We've got so many responsibilities. And we're starved. And we're limping through life. And sometimes that's why we're too quick to be angry. We're too quick to have anxiety. Let's gather together. And sit at the feet of Jesus this evening and allow him to wash our souls afresh. And so they've had these commands of, on your marks, get set. And the third one for all the runners starting a race is the final one, which is a command that says, go. Hmm. When that comes, that's your purpose. That's your time to get up from that crouching position and do and put into action and use all that training, all that preparation that you've done. And you run as fast as you can, shutting off everything else and you just run. And as I said before, as the runner is running, they don't want to get distracted by anything else. You know, we sometimes we're, we're too worried to worship. Have you ever sat down and tried to do your devotional and then all of a sudden you've got a shopping list instead of a prayer list? Oh, it's just me. <laughs> or you've got no time. Doesn't Jesus understand that you've got to get the kids here by a certain time? You've got to get to work. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You just haven't got time in the day to do a, a five-minute devotion. So you do it on your phone, but you're not really listening to it. And then if I said, what did you hear today? Oh, I don't know, but I did it. Tick. Sometimes we... we Set ourselves these goals on these apps and stuff and we're, we're trying to make sure that our ticks are always ticked off, that we, we've done our five-minute devotion. We, we've sat and listened to someone else tell us about something about Jesus and, and we can't remember a thing about it. It hasn't got into our soul. It hasn't become part of us. Jesus doesn't work that way. He wants you. He wants you and him alone, without any distraction, without anything else. If you could just sit even for two minutes with Jesus, that's better than two hours reading just out of a, a, a religious way of reading. It takes just that to quicken your spirit and for God to say something to you. We've got it all upside down. And then we've got FOMO, fear of missing out. And we want our social media. We want to check our phones and our, our texts and our emails. And, and, and what about Netflix? And I've got to watch Suits tonight. I can't come to the prayer meeting because I need to watch the next, the next episode of something. What is important? We have got so much choice, so many options. But they're all distractions from the race running in the race. But the biggest distraction, the biggest distraction is the crowd. It is the other people. We set off on our race, but then we're too busy. We want to look back and think, well, what are they doing? What are they thinking? But it goes even further than that. You know, what, what's she wearing today? And oh, what car are they driving now? What house are they living in now? We are so concerned with other people. Why? We sort of veer off our lane. Every one of us has been given a God-given lane. 
a lane to run the race of God in. And yet, as we start to run that, we're looking over our shoulder at someone else and we're getting distracted and then we'll trip up and we're disqualified. Too busy looking at others. Peter had a walk with Jesus one day and Jesus was telling Peter about the commission and about Peter's personal mission. He was telling Peter that what he was going to do for the Lord and where he was going to go. And unfortunately, he would end up with being his life as a martyr and being crucified upside down. And some of the stuff that he was going to get beaten, he was going to um, go through some trials and some testings. And, but the, the amazing thing, Peter, you are the rock on which I'm going to build my church. And you're going to see amazing numbers of people come to Christ. But Peter's listening to Jesus as he's starting to give him his ministry and give him his calling. And he's thinking, oh, that's not very glamorous. That sounds a bit hard. That sounds a bit difficult. And as he's contemplating what Jesus is calling Peter to do, Peter then stops and turns around and points to John and says, what about him? And how many times when we finally understand what niche God is putting us into, when we finally understand our part to play in the kingdom of God, and sometimes they're for seasons, but when we finally understand it and the penny drops and we start to walk in it and then we turn around and we see someone else and they're doing something different that looks better than what we're doing, they look like they're having more fun. They look like they're getting more like uh, promotion and, 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 uh, and blessing. And I want to do that. What about them? Why do we do that? We are created individually, individual DNA, but also the calling and the task ahead of us, the mission that Jesus gives us. He has fine-tuned it so it is perfect for us alone. Why don't we just get on board and run with what he's calling us to do, and then the next season it might change to something else, but there's a reason for the season. What about him? And Jesus answers very gently, but firmly. If I want him, talking about John, to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? I just like to know the people's business. I just like to know where they're going and what they're doing for the Lord. But Jesus says, keep your eyes fixed on me. When we fix our eyes on Jesus... There is less distraction and we're likely to be on track to where he's called us to go. Don't fix your eyes on the crowd, but fix your eyes on Jesus. And when you do, you won't just finish well, but you'll finish triumphantly. I wonder if the band wants to come back right now. Jesus didn't ask us or call us to walk on water because he did that. Jesus didn't call us to change water into wine because he did that. Jesus didn't call us to change the, to multiply the fish and the loaves as we heard this morning because he did that. He takes care of that. Jesus does all that 
But what he does ask us to do is to follow him. Jesus can't do that. So when Peter is complaining, what about him? Jesus' response is, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. I want to challenge us today. Are we willing to follow Jesus and not turn around and try and look at what everyone else is doing and compare it and measure it? Are we willing to get ready, get into position when we are called, are we ready to find ourselves, find our mark, find our place, find our position in church? We've got to get involved. Are we ready? Are we willing to get on our mark? Are we ready to get set? To put ourselves in a posture of sitting at Jesus' feet, of bending down, submitting our will and our life and our heart and our mind to his way of things? Are we ready for that? For him to transform our minds and our hearts and prepare us for what he wants to do? Are we ready and do we want that one thing that matters to be in his presence? And when we do all that, we will hear that go. And when we go, we simply follow his leading. We obey. We've positioned ourselves you know, being a Christian, never mind being a leader, is a hard calling. It starts and it ends actually all the way in the middle. It involves serving others. It involves getting involved with the church of Jesus. That is what church is about. And it's not always easy. But then we look at Jesus' life, his servant life. Judas betrayed him. The disciples deserted him. Peter denied him. And the Jews accused him wrongly. And Rome killed him on a cross. But he stayed on track. He was determined and he set his face like flint so that he would concentrate on the prize. He wouldn't look to the left or the right. He wouldn't look to the crowd, what they were thinking or saying. But he stayed on track because you mattered. He knew his mission, he knew his purpose, he knew his calling, he knew that he had to get on the starting blocks, he had to come down from heaven and he had to position himself in a lowly place to what he should have been. But he was willing to do it for you and me. He came down, he was on the starting blocks and then he got set and then he, he went the go. Where is he calling you to get involved it doesn't matter where, but just get involved. Start at the start. Position yourself. Put yourself in that place. And Joshua 24 says this, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose this day for yourselves whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You have a choice. We have a choice. Our life, in some shape or form, always involves serving somewhere. Choose this day who you will serve. Jesus, or you will serve in another area. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Let's just pray.
Father God, it's sometimes um, a hard word to receive. That there comes a time in our lives as Christians where you ask us to do something. You call us to action. You call us to get involved. We thank you for this amazing establishment you call the church. We thank you for the church is a, a gathering of people. But Lord, there are times in our life where we, we have the opportunity of stepping in and getting involved, of finding our position, finding our place, finding our mark. And we thank you, Lord, that you have made an individual mark for every single one of us. We ask, Lord, by your grace today that we would not leave this place without settling in our hearts that we choose to serve you. Lord, we understand we go through seasons of our availability and our ability. But Lord, we pray that you will help us, that we would not miss out on what you are calling us to do, that we would step into those starting blocks and that we would start that exciting journey together with you. In Jesus' name, amen.